0: time for the Vintage Truth Podcast with best-selling author and Bible teacher, Jeff Kinley. Hey, welcome to the Vintage Truth Podcast. You know, we're, um, we've been talking about a lot of different topics that relate to everyday life in the 120 or so podcasts that I've done so far But I want to tell you, this latest book of mine, Uncovering the Secrets of Bible Prophecy, is such an incredible tool for you. It doesn't matter if you have studied Bible prophecy over and over again, or if you're just now dipping your toe in the water. This is an incredible resource for you to help you spot counterfeit truth, help you identify uh, fake news and false prophets, help you have biblical discernment in your life as it relates to the end times. And what are the, all the views that are out there concerning the end times and how are we supposed to even begin to know which one of them is most accurately reflected in the scriptures? How do you interpret Bible prophecy? I take you through all of this and it's in a language you can understand. It's my personality. So, you know, it's going to be fun, right? Uh, but but it does. It gets you deep in the scripture, but keeps your feet on the ground in everyday life. And so I want you to pick up a copy of Uncovering the Secrets of Bible Prophecy Go to Amazon right now and just click on that little order link and get your copy today. Okay. Hey, I want to talk about in the next few podcasts here, next few broadcasts, about a very important subject in our day and time. You know, history is moving. History doesn't stand still. History doesn't um, is not static. But we're always moving and not always progressing. Sometimes we're moving backward uh, in time. Excuse me in in progress and uh, as we go forward in time we're kind of moving backward in terms of our morality all across the world today and i want to spend a a couple of podcasts uh, just to see how long this takes us to talk about this talking about um, abortion and this very very important subject and you know i know that you're probably thinking okay great he's just going to come out just condemn abortion and move right along and that kind of thing i want you to really listen to what i'm going to say over the next few podcasts about this subject because I'm going to approach it from a little bit of a different angle here. I'm going to tell the truth about it, going to talk about what God says, and maybe take you behind the curtain uh, in this world of abortion to show you some things uh, that perhaps you've never thought about, uh, that you've never seen, uh, some things from scripture that maybe you haven't considered, some things historically, but also to be able to answer some of the most passionate arguments that the pro-abortion crowd gives for why they justify doing this to their unborn children. I want to begin this way. In Psalm 106, verses 37 and 38, it says this, it says, they even sacrificed their sons and their daughters to the demons and shed innocent blood, the blood of their sons and their daughters, And they sacrificed to the idols of Canaan, and the land was polluted with the blood. That's Psalm 106, verses 37 and 38. Now, I have a question to begin this whole discussion, this whole uh, series on abortion. And, And here's the question. The question is, what would cause a person in a particular culture... To take the fruit of their womb, to take their own flesh and blood, their own children, and to slaughter that child upon an altar, giving deference and homage to another entity. And by doing that, saying, I'm I'm worshiping you, okay, what would compel a person to do that? Now, you know, we could talk about our possessions and say, oh, okay, well, yeah, I'd give you my, my couch if you want my couch. If you, if you want to tell me I have to sacrifice my couch or I have to sacrifice my phone or my car or even my house, but my children? How do you do that? How do you look in the mirror? And yet we are in a culture very much like the ancient cultures that the Israelites faced where there is a cultural acceptance to sacrificing your children because of a justifiable reason in your mind. Well, I have to, because it's, it's an act of worship to my God. Well, I have to in my culture because I don't want it and it's my body and it's my right and it's legal And it's just a piece of flesh, just tissue. And no one's going to tell me what to do with my body. You know, it's all these reasons that we give. Even to the point of, you know, I was raped, right? So, so here's the question. How do do we face this? Well, I think it's very important for us to understand an historical perspective on this thing. I want to give you two basic historical perspectives and maybe kind of advance and move on a little bit from there. But going back to um, World War II in Germany, I don't know if you know this story or not. But in January of 1942, there's, there was a villa located just outside Berlin. And that villa played host to a very, very sinister gathering. Present at this meeting were 15 of Germany's highest ranking nazi party and government leaders now you can say well what brought them together at this early date uh, in the war well what brought them together was an order from the fuhrer himself adolf hitler their objective for coming together at this meeting in this secret villa was to implement what they had already dubbed quote the final solution to the jewish question at this meeting was ss general reinhard Heydrich, one of Himmler's top deputies, that's Heinrich Himmler, the SS chief. Six months earlier, Hitler had given Himmler the responsibility of eliminating any and all perceived threats to German expansion rule. Following this, on July 31st, 1941, General Heydrich was authorized to begin preparations for, quote, a complete solution to the Jewish question. And one of the first steps in their plan was to organize these mobile killing units they were called the Einsatzgruppen, and these this group of men was comprised of deputized ss soldiers and german police and here's what their job was their job was to murder anyone that was considered to be racial or political enemies of the fatherland germany In late September of 1941, this is back before this meeting, a deployment of these men mass murdered 33,771 Kiev Jews in a ravine called the Babi Yar. It's, It's called the ravine of no return now. But that would prove to be just the beginning. Now think about that for a second because of the fact that you just exist and you are an annoyance to us and you don't fit into our future plans we're going to slaughter 33,771 of you that's basically a little bit less than a college football stadium average college football stadium today think about that now how'd they do this well they had this this gas mobile gas chamber that was mounted on top of a truck, and they would lead the victims on board. A door was shut and locked, and then carbon monoxide from the truck's exhaust was piped in, killing everyone involved. In less than two years, Germany's killing squads mercilessly slaughtered more than a million Soviet Jews. Do you have any idea what a million people looks like? A million. They murdered Soviet Jews, political partisans, gypsies, and disabled persons. These were, these were throwaways. We don't need you. We don't want you. You don't fit into our plans for the future. But you see, there were so many of them, they couldn't murder them fast enough. So they were forced to create these concentration camps or labor camps where they built these permanent centers to facilitate the murder of vast numbers of Jews. And by the, world's end, by the war's end, rather, in 1945, six million Jewish men, women, and children had taken their last breaths inside those gas chambers that were disguised, by the way, as shower facilities. The deceptiveness of that. Others died at the hands of Nazi doctors having been used as human guinea pigs in bizarre medical and scientific experiments. Hitler's persecution of Jews went from subtlety to savagery, creating a bloodbath across Europe and filling the air with the ashes of what was once Israel. Now, how any country—we look back on Nazi Germany, and is, could there be, in, in our mind, a concept of a more evil empire, a more evil nation than Nazi Germany? How could someone follow or tolerate such a demonic dictator or a demonic strategy? But hard economic times in pre-war Germany set the stage for this messiah-like figure to emerge— Hitler had helped restore the economy and brought pride and patriotism back to the country. In other words, if we tell you how great you are, then it's not as bad that we get rid of these things that we don't want. How can a nation, any nation, allow for the unbridled slaughter of innocent people? And how can a government of anything less than barbarians issue edicts and pass laws to that effect? today three-quarters of a century later hist- history in the world rightfully responds with disdain and disgust at the mere mention of the name Hitler and because of its war atrocities Nazi Germany became a permanent stain on humanity's record and yet are you ready for this in a strange and sick twist of history what Germany did to the Jews is being done in America along with... Ready for this? 96% of the world's countries. And it's not being done to Jews. It's being done to all people groups. It's being done to the unborn. The practice of abortion is the greatest human injustice in the world today. It is the ultimate devaluation of life. By telling someone, you don't even get to begin your life outside the womb. And in the course of just one generation, it has become America's national sin and shame. Yet despite this, we continue applauding, funding, defending, and celebrating this heinous, grisly crime against humanity. Say, so Jeff, how do you really feel about it? Now, a lot of people say this. They'll say, listen, abortion is, is a controversial issue, so you shouldn't talk about it. You know, it's 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 such a hotly contested topic in, in this post-Christian world in which we live. You, you Christians are not in charge anymore. You know, this isn't the, the Mayberry show. This isn't Andy Griffith. This isn't, you know... Ozzy and Harriet and, you know, Gilligan's Island and, and just kind of the good old America, you know, baseball and apple pie anymore. Hey, listen, we have people of all viewpoints that are here. And if we have a, a group of people uh, up to maybe half of the people in the United States that, that want to believe it's okay to slaughter your child, who, who do you think you are to tell us that we can't do that? So let's talk about it for just a second. Let's talk about where this whole idea of abortion came from. Why, why are we doing it? What effect has it had on our national conscience? Why are we as a people group, as Americans, deaf and immune to the cries of the unborn? Why have we become immune to their pain? How does this unconscionable mass murder relate to Satan's hatred of God? Is there a connection there? How long can heaven even tolerate a country that allows such unthinkable horrors? And to me, it's another sure sign that we are living in the last days that we have come this far down the rabbit hole of depravity that we still allow this to take place can anything be done about this you know there's been talk about reversing roe v wade ah i don't know that's going to happen or is it too late to turn the tide i mean have we irreversibly crossed a line here what's god going to do to us as a nation, who out of mere inconvenience slaughters their own young? Now, some some people see abortion as just a, a political issue. They say well, it's a Democrat versus Republican thing. Officially, Republicans are for life, Democrats are for death and slaughter of the unborn. But sadly, the Democratic Party platform strongly and unequivocally supports Roe versus Wade, while Republicans at least oppose government funding of abortion, though there have been many Republicans who have weakened their position on abortion in recent years. But some people think, well, abortion is just a way to secure votes one way or the other. Other people say, no, no, no. Abortion is not a political issue. It is a woman's rights issue, arguing that it's a constitutional matter. Think about that. That, Yeah, that that's it that's what the framers of the constitution had in mind when they wrote the, the the right to to life liberty and the pursuit of happiness in the fine print if you look in the fine print there you'll see it says and and to kill your babies now i don't think that's what they had in mind but some people see it as a woman's right issue and so the, they even argue under the 14th amendment as the, the as their weapon of choice by the way the same amendment that granted citizenship to former slaves and equal protection under the law, they say abortion is a constitutional right to privacy issue for a woman. So since that ruling on January 22, 1973, Roe v. Wade, mothers have been awarded this macabre right, right to end their child's lives. Part of this pagan thinking in America's judicial branch is that women have an absolute right over their own body. This, of course, logically makes sense if you conclude that there is no God who made us. A conclusion the Bible obviously flatly contradicts. For if God does exist, then every person has a moral obligation to submit to his standards governing the treatment of the body. Besides, even if you believe it's your body, which it's not your body, that doesn't mean you should slash and cut yourself or commit suicide. I mean, you don't have the right to do that. You can do that, but you don't have the moral right to do that. It's not your job to take life like that. It's not your right. You've overstepped your boundaries. Step back. The other problem with abortion being a woman's right issue is that those who take this stance conveniently deny the right for unborn females to control their own bodies. Now, there's, there's this dark irony there. You think you want to empower women? What about those women that you kill every day? Thousands of women you kill every day who never got a chance to say, well, it's my body. Never got a chance to say, well, don't I get a right to say, like, do I get to breathe? I would think that given the chance to breathe or not to breathe, they choose to live. We're taking it away from them. And then there are people who say, well, no, it's, it's not really a political issue. It's not really only a woman's rights issue. It's really a health care reproductive rights issue. And and this argument basically states that that access to abortion falls under the larger umbrella of medical care to which all women are entitled. In other words, a woman's reproductive rights means she is somehow owed a choice on whether or not to end her baby's life because abortion is quote-unquote health care, just as much as going to get a virus treated, a sore throat, sprained ankle, or a tumorous growth. These reproductive rights entitle a woman to choose both the time and the execution method of their baby. But this argument falls on its face because while a woman's body is certainly affected by pregnancy, the body she actually ends up killing doesn't even belong to her. So if it's your body, how come you're not killing your body? If abortion was a decision only about a woman's body, then the woman would die in the procedure, which of course she doesn't. Instead, somebody else's body dies. And is affected by abortion. Abortion kills the baby's body, the end. Not the mother's body. The mother chooses death for the child and life for herself. And the child gets no choice on the issue. No opportunity to vote. Before breathing his or her first breath, he is robbed of any chance at life beyond the womb. Hey, listen. Abortion is much more than a medical issue. It's a moral issue. Oh, there's so many other ways that, that, we're, that we argue for this whole idea of abortion. And, you know, they're looking for the safest procedure and that kind of thing. Look, it doesn't matter what kind of procedure you use, safe or not, it's not safe for the baby. <laughs> no procedure is safe for the baby. You know why? Because the baby ends up dying. That's why. So safe abortions is an oxymoron. Because every time an abortion is performed, a baby dies. And yet we sanitize it by wearing lab coats and smiling and signing forms. Wow. Hey, this is just the beginning. We're going to talk more about this incredible topic of abortion. I'm going to arm you with some incredible ammunition on this topic and show you what God says and what logic says about this with the next Vintage Truth podcast. I'll talk to you then. Thanks for listening to the Vintage Truth Podcast. Please subscribe and share with a friend. For more about Jeff's ministry, go to jeffkinley.com.